Hello, uh, welcome to the next episode of the Challenger Podcast. Once again, joined by my friend Jakub. But before we go to the usual previewing and recapping, and also some extra stuff from Szczecin, we do have to think, uh, we do have to cover this one update that the ATP has announced uh, September 16th, uh, which is called, well, on the ATP website, it's uh, ATP announces record-breaking Challenger Tour enhancements. So definitely this is up our alley. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. Uh, what, do you want to walk us through it? Oh, okay. Uh, so I think that the biggest uh, thing, uh, well, the, the, the biggest ideas here is more prize money. A 60% increase from 2022, uh, which in 2022, uh, you know, Challenger Tour as a whole, it was, I think, 13.2 million. Now it's going to be 21.1 million. There's also, uh, well, the, the event categories have been simplified. 90s, 110s are gone. It's, 80s are turned to 75s. It's just going to be 50, 75, 100, and 125. And another an addition of three brand new 175 tournaments, which are going to happen in the second weeks of uh, Indian Wells, Rome, and Madrid. Uh, so that's uh, the the prize money of these one 175 is uh, 75s is going to be 220 thousand euro uh, dollars. Sorry, uh, that's uh, you know related to the uh, ATP reform of the calendar, where Rome and Madrid are now also like. Not not uh, two week events, but one one week and a half or something like that. Uh, what else? Uh, yeah, the an increase in number of Challenger one hundreds and one hundred twenty fives, one hundred seventy percent increase. So we're not we're not gonna get you know five eighties every week like uh, sometimes we get right now. I think this week perhaps even uh, the one that we're going to preview later it's four eighties and one 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 hundred twenty five. Uh, the ATP wants to change that and have more bigger events and also a record number of tournaments held this year. I think that, yeah, we, we already have the full calendar for 2021, uh, 2022, and it's uh, 183 events. Uh, but in 2023, they want to hold 195. So getting close to that 200, but, uh, but not quite there. Uh, so what do you think? Yeah, I mean, obviously, this, this is a lot of changes at once, but I uh, am obviously excited about the fact that the players get more prize money. That is an obvious, um, immediate help to the players, which will matter a lot. We, obviously, we famously know that tennis is a sport, which is very, very expensive for the players. The, the player expenses are unbelievably high compared to other sports. Um, and oftentimes players um, struggle to break even, struggle to make a living, even on the Challenger Tour. Uh, so I, th I think this is a very um, obvious help to to try and make it more sustainable and try and make it so players that can just, you know, e even if they play the Challenger Tour their whole career, they lead their career and they feel successful uh, and they feel secure money-wise. Yeah, absolutely, and sixty percent is huge. That's that, that that's uh that that's a realistic like the players are gonna feel it in their in their purse. Let's say uh, that they're going to just you know sixty percent is enough for is for this to really make a difference. The event categories, I guess that's like that that that's just a cosmetic change that doesn't really matter much. We. Actually, the 90s and 110s were probably the categories that saw the least play of late, especially 110s. 
uh, because we haven't had one since the pandemic. There's going to be uh, a 110 in Seoul in a couple of weeks. But other than that, we, we didn't even have them. So that, that doesn't change anything. But it's nice that there's going to be more 100s and 125s. Although the, I suppose the tournaments will also have to bring in more uh, sponsorship money since they, they will need the, you know, the, the prize money to be upped. So it is a little bit ambitious. Perhaps we're going to see some events that we knew as 100s uh, drop down or something like that. Uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how many new events will also have to be on the calendar from now on. And also the 175s in the second weeks of Indian Wells, Rome and Madrid. I wonder which events are these are these going to be if it's if it's going to be some new um you know totally new tournaments or are these going to be some upgrades I'm assuming that the one in the second week of Indian Wells would be Phoenix because that would just totally make sense with how strong the uh the event was in the in recent years and also it's in that calendar spot anyway but after Rome and Madrid I think it's a bit of a blank slate so no clue what's going to happen there yeah, yeah, the the one seventy fives are intriguing for sure. Uh, since we have no idea where they're going to be, we have no idea like what sort of player shows up uh, to a to a one seventy five tournament, uh, as opposed to you know what we previously had was uh, a a one twenty five or you would have a, a two fifty on the main tour. Uh, so yeah, that that's also going to be very interesting to monitor. Uh, although I do have a feeling that it's mostly going to be main tour players at these events. Like I feel like it might become not quite automatic, but it it might make it might become a very easy decision for these players because I expect it to be quite convenient for them. I mean, yeah, if you lose early in Indian Wells or Rome or Madrid, right? You you just go there. I think that's yeah. that's pretty that, that that that's probably how it's going to be. Although not not for everyone. I I don't think Carlos Alcaraz is going to be playing this or or I don't know other top ten players. I I'm not sure what the uh well whether the criteria for entering will change as well i guess they should because usually in 125s we have like two i think it's two wildcards right now uh for mm. top 50 players that you can that you can give to top 50 players they have to be atp pre-approved uh but i guess for 175s they should change it somehow but we'll see that when the when the rule book is out or or something uh, maybe we'll get some top ten players at challengers because I think historically only Rainer Schüttler played uh, a challenger as a top ten player once in Braunschweig, I think. Uh, and anyhow, there's also another. Well, th- this isn't really explained, I think, anywhere. Uh, okay, it, 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 there's only one sentence about the optimized calendar. Uh, improvements to the calendar will also see it more closely aligned with the ATP Tour and deliver a, a better balance of tournaments in terms of both surface types and regions. Uh, you know, it's it's just theoretical. We we can't really see yet how it's going to work, but that's that sounds amazing and it's good they're acknowledging that the Challenger calendar is very clear-oriented right now. Uh, yeah. Even th- this week, we have... Uh, well, the, the week that's... That we're going to preview. We have four clay events and one indoor hard, in a part of the season where the main tour basically won't play on clay anymore, which is which is probably what they're aiming for here. I think they they kind of wanna uh, balance that out a bit. Although it's it's good that the challenger tour like has some clay while the main tour doesn't, because that's you know the the clay court special. That's for clay court specialists, but they shouldn't. Uh, the clay events shouldn't really take this much of a 
of, of a season as they do right now, but that that's that only happened since the pandemic, and also regions because right now it's just Europe, South America, right? It's that that's pretty much all. Obviously, there's there there are going to be events in Asia now. There are going to be events in North America, of course. The states play a pretty decent schedule all year long. But it's still, you know, the the, the other regions are definitely uh, could use more play. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm I'm also very curious to see how they sort of manage to execute this because we will have an average of you know three to four events a week, uh, and if they'll try to sort of um, put all of those into some sort of like swing, so you have you know a a, a, a you know three or four swings all uh happening at the same time on the challenger tour uh which i think might be pretty tough to execute uh throughout the season but we'll we'll see i'm 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 sort of cautiously optimistic about this because i i feel like it's definitely something that's needed obviously i i think we talked about this on the podcast as well um like there's no um like um out, outdoor hard play on the main tour in europe at all yeah. Uh, obviously, we get some of it on the Challenger Tour, but I feel like that's something that's very underplayed. Uh, and if we could get like swings throughout the season, as opposed to that just mini swing in Spain where you have a <laughs> Segovia and Pozoblanco and Mallorca, and, and that's it for the year. I feel like that would be interesting because you would get different sort of sorts of players emerging with it. Um, and I feel like the an underrated part of this is also that. <sighs> 170% increase in challenger 100s and 135s because that is you know more more points than the than the 80s and 90s which are or, or I mean especially the 80s which are more common now um so i feel like we will see players emerging faster uh as 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 we've sort of seen this season compared to last season with with the with the frozen rankings where we have you know Talon Greeks for playing forever and ever and ever because he just couldn't <laughs> he just couldn't get enough points uh to finally establish himself, but in the end he did. Uh whereas you know, this year we have uh Alice, we have Kachin sort of bursting through uh and, and ascending very quickly. And I feel like that will become even more of a factor next year. Yeah, more events plus the increase in the number of higher uh, paid pa- paid in terms of the point points events. Uh, that just means that uh, it's going to be easier to break through, simply, uh, mm-hmm. because the the ATP tour isn't going to give more point, give away more points. It's just challengers that are going to uh, that are going to have this increase. So yeah, we we probably get more top one hundred debuts. We probably get more guys like Kachin who win four challengers and then uh, I think it's four and then break the top one hundred. And well, Kachin is like fifty eight in the rankings right now. So. <laughs> Yeah. Uh yeah. Uh do we have anything else on that? Uh no, I think that's all my my thoughts on this. And yeah, just overall very exciting very, very excited to see how this looks. Yeah, th- there's a lot of stuff that is basically strictly theor- theoretical for now. So we cannot really rate it, you know, when you, you cannot really see whether uh, say whether we like it or not because we have to see it in work. But generally, I, I think you can't really say a bad word about this. There, there's, there's really not much that you can cr- you could criticize about these changes. I, I, I'd even go as far as saying that there's nothing because yeah, we can we can criticize the optimized calendar when it's in, but 
right now it's just a, a theoretical change that is probably going that is if executed right is is going to be what the what the challenger tour needs uh all right so let's get to the recaps yes and we start of course in stretching uh, at the 125 we had this week, Corentin Mute getting me a point, uh, beating Denis Novak 6-2-6-7-6-4 to win his sixth challenger title. Uh, he had an interesting run, starting with a wild first round where he got bagled by Sanchez Izquierdo, but came back to win 6-4 in the third. Uh, then he beat Maguer, Arnaldi, and Shevchenko before taking a Novak. Moved up 20 spots in the rankings, number 64. Uh, yeah, what did you think of Mutes throughout the week? Yeah, he, he struggled so much against Sanchez Izquierdo in the opening round, and I didn't really think he was winning this. He lost a bagel second set, and this was definitely his craziest match of the week. Uh, he was constantly arguing with the umpire, umpire, like offering him, like not, not offering him, but saying that he should get a $1,000 uh, $1, bonus if he spotted a let or something like that, and that he's going to retire and sit in the umpire's chair in a few years and constantly things like that. Uh, he is a bit funny at first when you, when you see that, especially his very theatrical, oh my God. Which he which he does after well every straightforward miss or something that doesn't go his way, uh, but then it's it gets really mentally draining, <laughs> like leaving a match that it was the same in Ostrava uh, against uh, who was it uh, Stina in the opening round when I left the match against Stina and when I left the match against Sanchez Izquierdo I was dead mentally. Uh, but then the rest of the week, he was actually super focused. And I think his bounce back ability was was insane. Whenever anything didn't go his way, he just really stuck in there, which is, I think, what Mute is not really used to doing, is not really known for, for being able to do. Uh, let's give you now a snippet from his uh, press conference after the title. Uh, it was a bit short, so I'm. But I'm. Just, I, I'm gonna have to like cut it a lot, not to include uh, anyone else talking. Although that's not much of an issue because I got used to, got used to this. That by now, well, the the person who uh, is you know talking to him at first uh, asks him a few questions. Then they ask from the for the questions from the crowds. There's a question from me, and then the conference ends. That's how it usually looks with foreign <laughs> players. So yeah, let's uh, let's give you that now. Uh, it was a, it was a great week, a nice tournament. Uh, it was my first time here in uh, Poland, so I really enjoyed my time here. Uh, we were lucky with the rain; it didn't rain too much, so it's, it was perfect. I think all the players had uh, pleasure here. Uh, I was lucky to stay all week. Uh, win here, of course, is always a, a great result uh, for me. But yeah, in general, I really had pleasure. Uh, I'm feeling good physically, and uh, I don't know. I just played good. I'm happy about my level, and uh, yeah, I had a good week here. Really enjoyed. I think I have to to improve uh, a bit everything. You know, that it's never enough. Even the top guys are always trying to improve their game. Uh, I would say everything, but in the same time, I think I, I have to find my good rhythm to play all the season. Uh, I was a bit injured the last two years, so I have to find my way to work, to do uh, the good amount of work, not too much uh, and uh, and uh, enough work. So I have to find like, the good balance, so I can play the whole season for for 10, 15 years, and I think that would be uh, the key for me to to be on top and to stay there. 
you have a very expressive personality on the court while your coach seems to be very calm do you need to work with someone like that to kind of balance you out does it help you yeah you know we all different i think the stress for everybody is the same because some people are showing it more i mean not stress but emotions uh showing more emotions so on me sometimes you can see it more but at the end i think everybody feels the same you know it's just a Uh, will you show it a lot? Will you keep it for yourself? It's, it all depends. I think my coach has got, uh, got some emotions uh, when I'm playing. It's just more calm, as you said. I don't know. We just uh, we are doing a good work since uh, since uh, a long time. So yeah, I think uh, it's a good balance. Uh, yeah, and uh, th this is obviously a fantastic week for him as well. After after the U.S. Open. Uh, where he went uh, reached the forefront as a lucky loser i am super glad that uh, i got to see him this week because in ostrava i feel like it was all about the drama and not about the tennis and this time i really got to enjoy that side of his game as well which is obviously the one that's more important but sometimes gets you know, gets lost in all the all the things that's hap uh, that are happening all the Uh, mental battles that he that he has against himself basically but the the hand skills is are, are just incredible perhaps one of the best lobs on the tour uh obviously the drop shots are always are always mentioned the slice which barely you know has has little to no net net clearance and uh yeah and he was just able to stay very very focused in the final Uh, even though that there was a moment when he argued with the umpire, which, which who I think made a couple of bad calls, it like it wasn't really Mute arguing for the sake of arguing. Uh, but yeah, the, the the bounce back ability that I mentioned was really on point this week, and that that's what that would gave him that, that's what gave him the title. Uh, and I think it's his is his second this year, right? So that that's been a very very quietly. A fantastic year for Mute because I think before the before the U.S. Open we wouldn't really say that, but right now right now he's on his career high again. Yeah, I mean if you look at him in the uh, challenger race that, that that we have, he's number twenty three, so he's ahead of a guy like Luka Nardi, for example, or Shevchenko, Kudlapos mm. uh, Bisho. So yeah, just just those uh, two big uh, titles. Uh, giving quite a bit of a boost there, and yeah, I I think it's impressive for him to sort of have this have this match where he's you know all crazy and and all over the place against Sanchez's kid, and then sort of go and refocus and um, just make make his way to the final, and then win a very very tough match in the final six four in the third there with Denis Novak. As for Denis Novak, uh, this was his sixth challenger final, uh, second of the year after Merbush. Uh, on this run, he beat Tirante, Mattia Bellucci, Koinski, uh, and Brancaccio. Up 25 spots, number 111. What did you think of Denis Novak here? Yeah, I, I think he's a guy that I've all that, that I've often been sort of uh, not even mentioning, like forgetting about sort of, because he's been this at this ATP challenger uh, fringe level for the past couple of years with no real intentions of uh breaking through it seems uh but but he's just he's just class really and uh i think he showed it this week the return was insane he he returns very aggressively especially against brancaccio he basically in the semis he basically won the match uh through his return uh back and cross court especially but even if, even if brancaccio was 
you know was trying to catch him off guard he would get then get a huge forehand uh it, it he really didn't really know what to do against against the, the Novak return in that fi- in that semifinal uh he came out very very tight for the final he was actually down 6202 uh, you know 2602 and it seemed like the the match would end in uh, like an hour <laughs> But yeah. then, then, then he gave it a fantastic fight, and I think a lot of the people in Stettin. Th- this was purely recency bias. I mean, and I tried to break them out of it. Uh, but a lot of the people there were like the best final in the history of the event, uh, which I think isn't true. I mean, that they literally had a Richard Gasquet Florian Meyer final in 2017. Uh, <laughs> but 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 this was this, this was very cool, and it got it got entertaining. Uh, Novak blasted a beautiful forehand winner up the line at five uh, four in the second set tiebreak that allowed him to take it. And then even though he went down zero three with a double break in the in the third, he still kept fighting, got it to three uh, three, and really you know could have won it. Uh, it could it could have gone either way until the the last game where Mute just had a couple of good serves at thirty thirty. So a, a great effort from him, definitely. Along with the Merbush final earlier, it's uh, it kind of saves his season, and he's gonna be, uh, you know, getting pretty close to uh, to that fringe ATP challenger level again. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I'm also just like with Mute, I'm I'm glad that I got to watch him in five matches this week because I certainly appreciate him more after after doing that. I I saw Denis Novak live a couple of times before uh, Bratislava 2019, for example, he, he where he won the title, uh, but. You know, because of the lull that he had recently, sort of, I, I definitely stopped uh, respecting him as much as I did back then, and I'm glad I, I, I I'm gonna have that again. Yeah, it was a great final in Szczecin. Let's talk about the semi-finalists, though. Uh, first up, we have Shevchenko, who was was getting some very good wins: six two six two over Ginard. Sorry, six two six three over Ginard. Six two six two over Cecchinato. Six two seven five over over Karbais Baina. Um, arguably playing his best tennis since uh, his Bratislava title. I think that's pretty fair to say. Yeah, uh, and lost to Mute uh, six four six two. Uh, yeah, what did you think of Shevchenko this week? Yeah, it, definitely the best week he's had in a while. Uh, I think going into the semifinals, he was probably the best player out there. Uh, especially against Carbaez Baena, it was it was so, such a great performance. He was just absolutely violent on the forehand side. And the whole week, he he played more aggressively. Uh, well, he he, it's hard to describe his style because he can really both attack and defend. And sometimes he, uh, he plays more of a grinding game. But this week he was just very very, uh, aggressive, especially on that forehand. He it got he got lost a bit in that second side against Carbaez Baena, but then came back from two five down. And, uh, this time it was actually through really long rallies. He was using. Uh, the drop shot a lot to expose Carbaez Baena's, uh, well, you know, the, 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 where Carbaez Baena was 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 standing, so a few meters behind the baseline a lot after he's after he serves because she, I think Shevchenko's serves uh, serve is also getting a lot bigger than it used to be. Uh, oh yeah, and we do have an interview which is after his second round against Cecchinato, so let's play it now. Uh, so, what did you think about the match? The first few games were pretty close, but then you just ran away with it. Yeah, it was uh, because I knew against who I'm playing, he's absolutely insane player. When he's playing good, you know, we all know. But, you know, a little bit luck and then, of course, 
uh, in important points. I played really good winners, you know, making those points that cost. And then I just had the float of it and then was keeping smashing winners and playing really great today. So I'm so happy about it. Do you enjoy playing in cooler conditions like here? Because yeah. in the summer I saw you struggle in the heat a few times. Yeah, a little bit, but of course the cooler condition for me is better because you don't struggle with the sun a lot. But uh, I love to play in Poland because uh, the court is pretty flat, so it's pretty fast, also in Poznan. And also the balls, Stratton balls, are fitting my game really well. And you recently had a couple of uh, experiences on, in, in higher, in better tournaments, like playing your first Grand Slam qualifying, like in Kids Bihel. What are your impressions, thoughts about First of all, uh, uh, that was my dream about to play Kids Bihel tournament because I came on holidays when I was 11 there with my mother and father. And uh, yeah, since then I came, I went to Gunter Presnik to practice and every year I was coming there to watch Dominic play and then I had the chance to play against him. This was, you know, my dream come true, you know, he's such a, such a big champion and yeah, it was one of my dreams and also about US Open was the atmosphere and stuff. It was great. It was really great. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, and as you, as you heard, he said that the courts uh, in Szczecin are pretty fast, which I didn't really feel like uh i think on a couple of days they were actually quite slow but that was related to rain uh but well he he said that he enjoys them and i think he certainly made them look fast in, in his matches uh then against mute it was very tight until 5-4 in the in the opening set and i think he even went up a break in the second set but obviously it was 6-2 so it didn't last very long uh, but still a hugely positive week, and as I as I said, it, I think going into the semifinals, he was probably the 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 one that was looking the strongest. Uh, and yeah, he just uh, he just didn't deliver at that same sort of efficiency against Mute. But uh, I I certainly enjoyed it again. Uh, we you know we know each other by now. I think this is the first guy who uh, appeared on the on our podcast for for the third time. Because I think we had a couple of repeat offenders like Stanek Kolaj, uh, who else was there? Zhiyan Zhang was, uh, to, was here twice this summer in Braunschweig and in Kozerki. And Shevchenko was in a couple of Poznan episodes. And I think he's the first guy who is making a third appearance. Yeah, repeat offender on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I, I was sort of curious to see how Shevchenko, with with you know, with the improvements that he has had throughout the season, looks when we come onto indoor hard courts. Mm-hmm. Uh, because last year, obviously, he, he had a, a decent run in in Helsinki, uh, in Bratislava. He lost to Milos Karol, which I, I forgot about. Uh, oh, was, really? Uh, <laughs> I also did. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he he beat Lazarov. Uh, lost to Milos Karol, got in as lucky loser and lost to Chen Ilkel in three sets in the main draw. Oh yeah, I um, watched the match against Ilkel, but I, I didn't remember the one against Karol at all. Though. But yeah, so so what, what do you think his sort of ceiling is on, on indoor hard courts as we uh, eventually go heading to that uh, part of the season? I don't know. I think indoors, because of Helsinki, because I watched him there live as well, I think it's pretty high. Uh, again, with, if the serve is firing as much as it's been. I think that's also helping a lot. He is a bit uh, ineffective when it comes to killing short balls. I think he just cannot really make his strokes more compact. Like when he's at the, I don't know, hitting a mid-court ball, he's still hitting it as if he was two meters behind the baseline. That's something that Ginter Bresnik should work with him on. I don't know why he hasn't so far, because it seems 
it seems very obvious and it's been a problem for him for the past whatever uh, as even in the in the semi against Mute it was a problem he just couldn't really uh, capitalize on getting a good position in the rally and Mute's defense was insane Mute is super fast by the way I didn't I didn't mention it but live you can really see it and uh and yeah and because of Helsinki I feel like it's pretty high although I have no clue how he will do outdoors like that that could be a problem I think but he's actually in a spot where well he's definitely going to make Australian Open qualifying a couple of good runs will get would even maybe have him with a chance for the main draw but he would have to probably do well indoors for this so so that's uh yeah that's probably not happening if it was clay until the end of the year, it, it would be a possibility. Well, this year he played five matches on outdoor hard courts for our, uh, the beginning of the year, but he beat Fomin, for example, which isn't a bad, uh, which isn't a bad win, I guess, but he lost to Mamoon and Mena, uh, Mena at US Open qualifying. So, you know, uh, I have no clue how he he's going to do outdoor hard courts. I think indoors he should be fine, but probably not as effective as on clay. Hmm. Yeah, uh, and our other semi-finalist was Raul Brancaccio, uh, who got some wins over some pretty big names here, uh, taking out top seed Federico Correa in the first round, 6-3-7-6, then beating Flavio Coboli in the second round, uh, and then beating Federico Del Bonis in three sets before losing to Denis Novak in two tight sets. Uh, yeah, what did you think of Brancaccio here? Yeah, maybe let's start with the interview, which was actually after his opening round win against Federico Coria. Congratulations, fantastic win. Uh, how do you feel after beating the top seed here? Yeah, I, I feel so good because uh, all the players know, know Coria. He's a tough guy. On clay, it's very tough to win one point. Every You have, you have to be focused every point. So, yeah, I play, I think, very good today. So now I'm going to rest a little bit tomorrow and we'll see you next day. What was going through your head in that uh, second set? Because you missed a lot of match points and still had to come back and win it. Yeah, I lost uh, a lot of matches like, like today. I mean, when I was up uh, with the the result but I don't know I, I stay focused uh, until the, the end of the, the match and I don't know uh, at the end I won the, the match and uh, I made it yeah. and last thing what do you think has improved about your game this year because you've made a lot of progress in the rankings won the challenger yeah I think I start like two months ago with my, my old, old coach mm-hmm. uh, he's the brother of the different and we know each other so good so I think he helped me a lot and I think the result is, is done yeah. thank you Thank you. Yeah, uh, one one interesting thing there about uh, working with David Ferrer's brother, which I didn't I didn't have a clue about, but apparently it's uh, it's uh, it, it's like a renewed partnership for him. Anyhow, yeah, as you said, Coria Comori del Bonis, that's just amazing. That's probably stronger that, than his run in San Benedetto when he won his first challenger this year, uh, where he won and when as well, <laughs> and uh, yeah. Uh, against Korea, he had so many mental, like like the, the the mental challenge was huge because Korea saved I think two match points in uh, at three five in the uh, in the the second set, then two two more at five six or something like that, and Brancaccio still had to take it in the tie break. Uh, the level was actually very high. I think that was just looking at at both players. Well, maybe Korea uh, wasn't really playing you know his best, but Brancaccio had to had to step up. And yeah, this was just a. 
I, I don't think he was quite at the level of Novak Mutashevchenko. Like uh, when it got to the semifinals, I had like I was very certain that Brancaccio isn't winning this. Uh, but as I said, that could this run could even be more in, in like more uh, impressive than the one he had in San Benedetto when he won the title, just because the depth of the field was that much stronger. Although the match against Delbonis was super wild as well. Uh, outside of the six games in a row that Delbonis took uh, to to win the second set, it would be like fifteen to three for Brancaccio, and that's because Delbonis was playing absolutely awful and like constant timing issues on the backhand side. He just wasn't wasn't really able to play his tennis at all. But I guess we've seen it all year with Delbonis, and the one against Koboli was pretty wild as well because Brancaccio in the second set was. Uh, zero four down, and then won it six four, uh, winning the last sixteen points. Uh, so uh, I think that that was generally one of his best trades this week. That he never, never went below a certain level, and these unstable guys like Koboli or Delbonis, they they weren't able to match that. Uh, so so definitely a huge week for the guy, and yeah, probably even better than the one when he when he won. Although obviously points wise and. Uh, for his own personal satisfaction, it's not going to be like that. Yeah, yeah, I was very impressed with the fact that he was able to sort of pull off this impressive run after um, that title that seemed a bit out of out of nowhere. Um, but yeah, very, very impressed with Brancaccio this week. Uh, we should also talk about uh, Jan Hoinski, who made the quarterfinals here as a qualifier. He started out struggling in qualifying, uh, beating Stoder 6-4 in the third, Handel 7-5 uh, in the third, then he beat uh, Jerzy Janovic in the first round, 6-3, 6-4. Uh, in the second round, he came up against uh, Chung Sin Seng, uh, and he beat him 10-8 in the third set tiebreaker. Uh, I believe match points saved as well. Yeah, uh, Coming back from 5-2, <laughs> In that in that deciding set, uh, very impressive. His first challenger quarterfinals since August 2019 in Merbush. What did you think of Khoinski here? Yeah, he definitely looked like a challenger player. Uh, the past two years, they were very tough for him because of injuries. Uh, got a lot of support in Poland because if if anyone doesn't know it by now, I feel like it's been mentioned a few times on the podcast, but. Uh, his father is Polish. Uh, he never represented Poland, but he played for Germany before, and now he's playing for for Great Britain. But he speaks Polish fluently. Like he he could you know some some vocabulary uh, he struggles with, but but he he speaks it fluently. It's it's like a mother tongue. So uh, so definitely got a lot of support here as well. Uh, against Janowicz, honestly, I think it was a very good matchup in slow conditions because he just uh, well on serve he can almost match. Uh, Janowicz and then in uh, well, he just moves so much better he sort of usually he sort of tries to play this tall counter puncher style like Medvedev was brave although it, it's impossible for him he actually doesn't move that well of course uh, but against Seng he stepped out of his comfort zone a lot played with really awesome controlled aggression for the most part and and uh, yeah, that, that that's his best ever win, actually. Uh, I think this is the first time he's beaten a top 100 opponent. Then just didn't have anything left in the tank for Novak because he played with Tseng for over three hours and the match finished after 11 p.m. Uh, and, and yeah, it was just too tough for him to, to, to get up on Friday and play Denis Novak. He clearly had nothing left in the tank. Uh, 
uh but definitely a huge week uh i think he's also playing on the challenger to uh you know uh, next week yeah i didn't want to repeat week but i had no idea how to uh how to get around it anyhow yeah uh, look looked like a challenger player and as you mentioned he pretty much was a, a low level challenger guy in 2019 and perhaps he can get to that level again if healthy this time mm -hmm. uh, and in the doubles we had dustin brown and andrea Vavasori winning their second title together in 2022 uh, I enjoyed your tweet very much uh, about uh, Dustin Brown helping Andrea Vavasori uh, sort of rebuild his singles game with more aggression and stuff. And I mean, it's clearly worked. He, he has uh, come on leaps and bounds. And Brown Vavasori beat uh, Yebabi and Pavlasek in the final, for whom it was the third final in 2022, and they have lost all of them. Yeah, if you're not sure what Jakub is talking about, then I will actually play a clip of that from you because you can oh. hear you can hear Vasori uh, talking about it yourself. So maybe let's start with it. Yeah, for me it was not uh, the best start because I didn't play so good in singles. Uh, I was a little bit uh, uh, heavy mentally. I played a lot in this in these two months. But uh, yeah, it was great for uh, for Dustin. He played really good the first match. I think uh, it was a great start. He really, really take my end and uh, take the win in the first match. And also my father did a great job. And after the first match, we we keep playing our our game. We we have to be aggressive. Uh, we have to be confident. And uh, at the end, it was uh, yeah really good uh, fight. And uh, I think today, on Saturday, yesterday, we played a really good uh, tiebreak at the end. And uh, yeah, uh, really happy for the win. It's a really a big tournament, and uh, I think it's my my best win in uh, the Challenger Tour. So uh, I'm really happy. I thought I thought the second. I knew I won which proof one time, and uh, yeah, okay, then three times. It's good for me. I'm happy. <laughs> um, yeah, of course. And like I said, I, I also won in singles here once. I think 2014, 2016, I lost in the finals. Um, I play very well here. I like the conditions. I like the balls. And uh, like I said before. A lot of times you're at tournaments and uh, it's always a nice thing when, when you feel like you're at home, you know everyone and I've been coming so many times. So uh, yeah, it's a great feeling, I like to come back and uh, yeah, hopefully we'll be back next year and maybe even to defend our title. Uh, Andrea, you, you, last year you had a few months when you weren't playing singles anymore. Did yeah. you were you considering giving it up completely? Because looking at your recent results, you clearly have a lot left to show in both competitions. Yeah, last year I played a lot in doubles and I was like playing more ATPs, so I didn't have the chance to play also singles because I didn't have the chance to compete in the qualities and make the cut. But I was a little bit lucky because I didn't get in with Matos in the US Open doubles. We didn't make the cut, so I started to play qualities in the Challenger Tour and doubles and make some good results that bring my ranking again in good positions. And uh, yeah, after uh, one quarter in Barletta, one semis in Como, my confidence, uh, my confidence start uh, grow up again. And uh, after the results, I make uh, one qualifying in second round in Stockholm, and uh, I start again to, to feel it. So it was uh, last two months were incredible because uh, we made, uh, I made uh, two finals in the uh, Challenger Tour in singles. We we make we made also the win in the quarterfinals together. So I have to keep it up and uh, let's see <laughs> what the future brings me. I have to say also that uh, Dustin uh, helped me a lot because uh, we played together the, the league in Germany 
and I wasn't playing singles and uh, him and the coach of the, of the Bundesliga, Ralf, uh, helped me a lot with like bringing the aggressive game and singles too, so I also do thank you him for uh, the, the results in singles. Yeah, and as you as you heard, I asked him a question about that little a break that he had in his singles career in 2021, and uh, well, he he gave me an answer uh, that that it was most you know he wasn't really considering giving it up, but it was mostly about just playing ATP events and not being able to make the cut. But then he randomly, uh, well, he basically randomly didn't get into the U.S. Open with Matos, I think. And then he just played a couple of challengers instead. And that's how it started. And right now he 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 can definitely play in both competitions. It's actually why he was also here probably because, you know, he, he's 59th in the doubles rankings. Uh, probably one of the best doubles players we've had in, in, in Szczecin uh, for, in years, at least ranking wise, of course. Uh, and yeah, and you could hear that story that Jakub mentioned that uh, well that they were that Brown and Vavasori were playing Bundesliga last year, and Brown also was one of the factors in helping him reactivate that singles career. A uh, huge week, I think Brown was probably the MVP, which even Vavasori mentioned, uh, especially in the in the first round. Uh, he sort of carried him through, and that slap return. I don't know if it's a tennis term, but that's how I call it. Uh, I'm pretty sure you, you know what, I, what I'm talking about. The way yeah. Dustin Brown just unleashes onto the ball. It's very effective in doubles. Uh, he doesn't even have to be that precise with it. He can just go at the opponent and sometimes you just you won't be able to move away. Uh, and even though they played uh, three super tiebreakers, I think they were, they, they were clearly the, the best uh, team of the week. Although Yabavin Pavlashek as well. Uh, I think Pavlashek has been one of the one of my favorite doubles players this summer because you you know that Yabava is a force, you know that he's established on the doubles circuit, but Pavlashek has been a, a double specialist for a couple of like maybe maybe a year or so or, or so by now, and I think he's probably gonna get where where Yabava was at some point because he he just he's just really intelligent. He he reads the game very well, anticipates what the opponents will do and. Uh, and that's uh, that. That's really a, a big strength of his in doubles. But but yeah, Bram Vavasori got the title, and it was it was a very fun, a very fun final. Even if the level wasn't maybe as high in the super tiebreaker, because the both pairs got very very nervous. And Dustin Brown, by the way, is very familiar with Stetin. I guess you also could hear uh, a bit about that in the uh, in the snippet from the press conference. But uh, well, he already won Stetin three times in doubles and one time in singles. Uh, so he's been coming back here a lot. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to say quickly on, on Pavlasek. I've been very impressed with this sort of evolution into a double specialist. He was, I remember, seen as a, as a massive talent in the Czech Republic, sort of coming up uh, alongside Yuji Vesely, or he was sort of seen as, as the second biggest talent in the Czech Republic at the time. Uh, and, you know, he, he had a lot of injuries, a lot of uh, issues in his singles career. And yeah, I mean, he's only really been a, a challenger double specialist since um, March. Like all, all of last season, it, it was all futures. He started the season on futures. And this transition he's been able to make has been very impressive. Uh, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to see more of Adam Pablastic, the double specialist here. Yeah, and it's only like last year when he started playing doubles 
Yeah. Maybe not full time yet because I think he played 26 matches uh, in doubles last year. I, I checked it like a couple of days ago. Uh, yeah, so maybe not full time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he started in May and and sort of played full time ish there onwards. Yeah. So it's only really been a few <laughs> like like a year or so, uh, yeah. and he's already almost in the top 100. So. And we move on to Ren, where we have Ugo Umber getting you a point. Uh, beating Dominic team six three six love uh, <laughs> in this final for a seventh challenger title. Uh, he beat Fariberg, Bellier, Brauer, and Goyovchik. Did not drop a single set uh, this week. Up twenty nine spots, number one hundred and ten. After the sort of disappointment that we had from Ugoumberg coming uh, back to the challenger tour, not really getting the results, we felt like he should have achieved. Uh, yeah, what, what did you think of him breaking through here and, and getting the tech? Yeah, in a way, he actually did get the results because he had like what four events, three semifinals, one quarterfinal. So yeah. I, it wasn't <laughs> quite as good as it was when he was breaking through in 2018 19, but it was still consistently going deep. Like, there, there's actually very few players who get four, well, now five quarterfinals in a row, right? Uh, I remember Juke who got six in 2021. It was like a huge thing, uh, and it, it, it's it's actually quite rare. So, but but yeah, I mean, it, it only t- it only tells about w- what sort of standards we expect Ugo Bear with that sort of level of talent to to live up to. Uh, but yeah, uh, he wasn't broken all week, which is crazy. 21 breakpoints, uh, one against Friberg, zero against Belier. Uh, nine against Brower, I think, or and six against Goyovchik, or the other other way around, and then five against Team in the final, six three six zero, and still five breakpoints. So it kind of tells you as well that in the first set it was closer than the scoreline suggested, but then Umber just ran away with it. I have to trust myself more because before the final I was like. Well, Umber, it should be a very good matchup for him indoors. He can just rush the long backswings that team have team has. But I definitely didn't expect him to do it so effectively and you know to only give team free games. Uh, yeah. I was even joking because the the weather forecast for for Sunday in Szczecin was terrible, and I was saying let's let's all go to Ren because we, I want to see that final. <laughs> but looking at how it went, I, I, I'm glad I watched it on the stream. I guess. <laughs> well, obviously, it would have been nice to see it live, but not if I was to go uh, to Ren uh, only for that much. Uh, anyhow, yeah, Umber finally getting it. Uh, what's the uh, you know what's the balance in the prediction competition right now? Because I actually forgot. So, so. yeah, so, so 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 this week we we did very well in the predictions. I got one, you got two. Uh, you got we, a point, really. Hmm? You got a point, really. Yeah, I I had I had Mute. Oh shoot! I thought you had Carbaez Baena. Oh no no no! I I had I had Mute. Um, oh, and then you had Ogumbera and Nardalba who will get on too. So I'm leading nineteen to sixteen. Crap! I I was certain you had Carbaez you had Baena. <laughs> you were certainly considering it. Anyhow, uh, yeah, shoot! Yeah. I I thought I was two points behind. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's that's frustrating because I, I I would have been very you know rooting for Denis Novak in the final, and there I was sitting, and I was like, yeah, okay, who wins the final? 
uh, was the final. Anyhow, uh, yeah, Hugo Humbert, superb week, not even broken, although with 21 breakpoints, I think it's it's fair to say that he should have been broken at least once, uh, but still a fantastic performance in the final. Team just didn't know what to do at all when, when Humbert was taking everything early and and yeah, huge and probably fantastic for his confidence as well. He's obviously a, a great indoor hardcore player. Whenever the surface is fast, slick, he's going to be there. Yeah, uh, I mean, getting to sort of, you know, save 21 out of 21 breakpoints is pretty insane over the course of a week. Uh, and I feel like it's it's very key for him, sort of considering what we saw from him in in Spain and in and in, in Canada. Uh, th- th- those those two losses to Barrer and Grenier sort of felt like he should have won those matches. He didn't lose to Lestien, which was understandable. The loss to Moria, I think we can just sort of write off. Um, but yeah, it's certainly a a very very strong improvement from Hugo Umber, and I'm excited to see what he shows us uh, going down the line the rest of the season. As for Dominic Team, this was only his fourth challenger final. Uh, two and two in those finals. His first one since November 2013 in Casablanca. Uh, all of his previous finals were in Casablanca. Uh, no, no, Casablanca in 2013. My bad. <laughs> um, on this run, he beat Gilles Simon, Peniston, Andreev, and Hugo Gaston before losing to. Umber up 34 spots, number 182. Uh, yeah, where do you think it sort of shifted for Dominic team uh, where he, he was able to, you know, string some wins together, but ultimately could not compete in the final? Yeah, so the Dominic team is a bit of a Moroccan specialist, it seems, because he won these two challengers in Morocco. And also in November and December 2012, he won a couple of futures in Morocco. Uh, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So, so I wasn't wrong. Actually, was it? <laughs> so, so I wasn't actually wrong when I actually said Casablanca. I mean, it was it was Canitra uh, and yeah. Casablanca. So yeah, more or less. Anyhow, um, yeah, I I think his forehand was clicking, and that's really all it is about. Uh, but uh, what killed him probably in the final as well was the fact that he faced four opponents where he just had total freedom of doing what he wants to do, dictating yeah. a lot. And then he ran into his the first guy that actually puts pressure on him. Uh, maybe if team played someone like uh, I don't know, let's look at the other side of the draw, Brauer or Goyovchik, the guys who uh, who Umber played. Maybe maybe if he played some of them, then he would have been more you know better prepared for the final. But it didn't happen. I think also for that reason. Uh, but obviously for team to win four matches in a row, win them against quality opposition. Uh, even if guys like Andreev maybe they can't really establish themselves on the on the main tour there, then he's up. He obviously moves so well and uh, really makes you beat him from the baseline. Gaston played a very good, play, played very nice this week. So uh, I think uh, so. So it's it's obviously huge for the guy, even if the final defeat will will hurt a bit. Yeah, I'm just looking at his schedule. Um, what what we have available so far, he has. Uh... Mets this week, Tel Aviv, Gijon. So, main tour stuff. Well, do do you think we'll see him again on the on the challenger before the year is over? I don't know. Maybe if the ATP, you know, once the ATP tour is done and we still have challengers, that's possible. Uh, and by the way, he was the guy. I I think I mentioned a couple of uh, weeks ago that uh, the Stretching challenger was trying to get some a big name, uh, and he was oh. actually the guy. He signed up. Well, he he uh, 
uh, he asked them first, like that they weren't even contacting him. And he said that he was, uh, well, thinking about it, but maybe he, uh, you know, initially he said that if he just decides to play indoors uh, straight up, then he's going to go to Ren. And that's what he did. So, uh, but, but he was the guy uh, I, I mentioned a couple of weeks back. Uh yeah uh do 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 I think he's gonna play challengers I think yeah after after ATP, the ATP tour is done I think it's possible that maybe he'll he'll add something like uh I don't know what is was here would it make sense for him to play on clay courts I don't know uh the the you know in November the last one hundred is uh, one hundred challenger is Roan then you only have eighties nineties so I don't know maybe it's actually not as likely as I thought initially. Yeah, uh, and we move on to the semi-finalists. Uh, first one we should talk about is Uru Gaston, uh, who sort of dropped uh, down to the, the, the Challenger Tour for the first time this season after having a, a not ideal year on the main tour, to say the least. Uh, it's It's been, you know, some some bright spots, uh, like the French Open third round, uh, made the third round in, in Miami as well, but coming into Rennes, it was quite rough. 6-1-6 uh, love loss to Goffin in Cincinnati, 6-2-6-3 loss to Millman in Winston-Salem, straight set loss to Bublik at the US Open. But he sort of, you know, re- rediscovered himself in, in Rennes, uh, beat Yannick Mertens uh, in straight sets, then Gabriel Debru, uh, who managed to take the second set from him. That was that was quite impressive as well. Uh, then beat uh, Benoit Per 6-3-6-1, who was uh, my pick for the title. <laughs> somehow uh, not sure what I was doing there and then lost to team uh, yeah what did you think of Gaston in, uh, in his first challenger of 2022 yeah certainly a very good run for him as you said he hasn't had a good year but this only like strengthens my theory that if you're playing on the main tour you only need a couple of events where you win two rounds or three rounds and then you're still fine because in the ATP race he's 133 uh, at 133 uh, so that's you know, despite seemingly not doing anything, <laughs> and and yet he's there. Uh, I mean, he's one spot behind Varias, uh, two spots behind Varias, one spot behind Shevchenko, who if you who seem to have had much better campaigns. Uh, but I guess he he sort of showed this week that he's still capable of getting deep runs in challengers and. I guess we're going to see him a lot more there next year after his Bercy points drop because in November he's defending that quarterfinal and I don't know if he can do it. Yeah, and I mean, we'll see him, we'll see him using for the rest of the season a little bit. Uh, but yeah, my, my bad, I, I, I said that he it was his first challengers that he played. It's, it's his first challenger wins because uh, he played Phoenix, lost to Michael Jack, played mm-hmm. in Bordeaux, lost to Verdasco. So yeah, his first challenger wins of the season. Um, but yeah, so so he's he's playing Mets next week, and then he'll come back to be uh, seated in Orleans, and we're on Le Captif. So we'll we'll see him down the line in these French indoors uh, challengers. And the other semifinalist was Peter Goyovchik, who had a sort of a, <laughs> a more difficult run to the semis. Uh, went three sets with all his opponents. Uh, Deschepper. Mastur and Barrer. Uh, yeah, any thoughts on Goyovchik? Yeah, Goyovchik is 186 in the ATP race, and I'd say even that is a bit uh, above his current uh, level. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I mean, that, that's that's really the truth. Uh, I think his season was sort of saved by Alexander Zverev getting 
well, that was when he got defaulted in Acapulco, right? Uh, because Goyovchik uh, went yeah. into the main draw as a lucky loser there, beat Nakashima, which was like a st- complete stunner, and then he lost to Zverev. Uh, I mean, he, he played Zverev, uh, was to play Zverev, but Zverev got defaulted for that doubles match with Melo. And then he lost uh, only one one game against Nori in the quarterfinals, but it was still a quarterfinal over 500. Uh, so I think that that really saved his seasons because other than that, he's not he hasn't been doing well. He's already lost in Mets qualies as well, but that's to his Brower, so I guess that's that's fine. That's not really a bad loss or anything. But still, that that's been a, it's been a very very poor year for Goyovchik, and obviously the U.S. Open points uh, dropping off also hit him hard. Oh yeah. I uh, also wanted to mention Adrian Andreu, uh, who made the quarterfinals here, his third quarterfinal of the season after runs out of qualifying in Fordley and Sarasota. This time he didn't have to qualify, but he did have uh, two thirds of tiebreakers back to back, which was pretty interesting, beat Jean Vier and Grenier and took a set of Dominic team. Any thoughts on Andreu here? Yeah, I think he's still pretty severely underranked. I think he could easily play in challenger events. Obviously, it has a very, very easy limit on it because he's, well, he he, he can't attack. He's just a very good mover. But it, it's a game that should give him, you know, the ability to at least make, uh, win, win a few rounds in challengers. The win against Grenier, even if Grenier was coming off a title, was, was quite huge. And over in the doubles, we had Aesthetic and Pell uh, win the title in their first tournament together in their careers, uh, and they beat Adet Olivetti, uh, for whom it was the second final of the season. We can move on to Istanbul, where you got yourself your second point, with Radu Albot beating Lukas Rossol 6-6 love <laughs> in the final. Uh, that was a quick one. His ninth challenger title uh, beat Giannu, Squire, Zhukayev, uh, third set tiebreaker win. Uh, then had a weird scoreline against Blancano. I think it was like one six six one six two. Yeah, uh, up sixteen spots, number ninety two in the rankings. Uh, yeah, what did you think of Radu Albot's week? He was Radu Albot. I mean, he was solid. He didn't do anything exceptional, but he was just Radu Albot, really. And he got so many break chances against Rosol. Uh, I think he generated 17 breakpoints and Russell had none. So even though the final was, uh, I think it actually took 66 minutes, which for a 6 to 6 0 isn't, is actually quite long. But that was yeah. mostly due, due to long games on the, on Russell, on the Russell serve, not, not on Albots. So it was perhaps even more dominant than the, than the scoreline tells you. Uh, didn't expect the fact that he would beat Russell so easily. Uh, I thought Russell was in very fine form going into the final. Uh, first set tiebreaker against Zhukayev. I didn't get to watch a lot of Istanbul this week with with Stachin, uh, but glad to see that sort of results. You know, uh, keeping me, uh, keeping me in my belief that baby Zhukayev might have something there. Yeah, and we should also talk about Lukas Rossol for sure, uh, because this came out <laughs> out of nowhere a little bit. Of course, he's been uh, doing all right on the on the ITF tour. I think he made uh, two finals. Maybe he won a title. Uh, won twenty five k in uh, Mutants, I think, in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, and then he he sort of re- reeled off this run uh, for his 14th challenger final, first one since uh, Sherbourg in February 2021. Uh, he started by beating the top seed and defending champion James Duckworth uh, in straight sets, 6-2-7-6. Then Robin Hasse, 6-3-6-1. Boran Lokoli in the quarterfinals, 6-4-6-4. Kirichi, who was a bit of a surprise package here, who we'll definitely talk about later, 6-3-6-4. And then had nothing in the final. What did you think of Rosso here? Sort of a puzzling run. Yeah, I think most of the year he's been playing a bit better than people make it out to be. Uh, I think he's he's definitely been stronger than in 2021, at least. Maybe it's recency bias again, like with with the strategy final, but... I feel like I've I've really enjoyed him on some occasions this this year. Wimbledon qualifying, of course, uh, yeah. the 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 quarterfinal runs he had in challengers later in the uh, earlier in the year as well, and uh, that, that this makes quite a lot of sense, especially as the draw in Istanbul wasn't that strong. Although, you know, he had to play the top seed James Duckworth, a top one hundred player, uh, still right, yeah, still a top one hundred yeah. player in. Uh, in the in round one, so uh, probably not a top one hundred player for long because Nur Sultan is gonna drop. But but you know, still, I think Duckworth was also the defending champ, so he he probably lost a bit of points uh, for this as well. Yeah, and, and and I wonder how much longer he's going to play. Uh, I don't think I've seen anything about this being his last season. Uh, but yeah, age thirty-seven. You sort of have to think that this is this is close to and this. Very well, might be his his last uh, uh, run like this to the final. But yeah, glad glad we got it for sure. I, I, oh yeah, I, I, should, I should also mention up sixty-six spots, number two hundred and thirty-nine in the rankings. So this should you know it gives him another twelve months of of challenger entries. Uh, so that's that's a positive for him as well. Uh, yes, over to our semifinalists. We should definitely talk about Kirchi, uh, who made the semifinals here out of nowhere, really. Uh, beat Metreveli, beat Verdaskov, beat Ofner. Uh, I believe this is his first challenger main draw wins uh, that he has had in his career. I, I He only had one qualifying win, if I looked at that uh, correctly. Uh, up 349 spots, number 622. What did you think of uh, Koray Kirchi here? I mean, he hadn't even been past the past round two at an ITF this year. He had 12, 12 points. Now he's getting an additional thirty for reaching the yeah. final, uh, semi-final. Sorry, uh, absolutely wild. I was actually watching the semi against Rosol uh, on my phone in the pre- in the press office, and then uh, a friend of mine who's also like a uh, you know journalist uh, <laughs> came up to me, and he was like, "Well, th- th- because that I don't like calling myself that, but anyhow." Uh, he came up to me and he was like, "Who is this guy? Am I uh, have I you know am I out of uh, out of the loop for, for have I been out of the loop for so long that I don't know some random three hundred rank guy?" And I was like, "No, don't worry, you're you're fine. You, you're you know you can uh, you are allowed not to know Korei Kirchi, definitely." Uh, yeah, he's actually never beaten a top 450 opponent other than the guys that he did this week. So Ofner and Verdasco. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he, he has a decent enough game. Uh, moves. Uh, okay. I mean, play, plays solid tennis from the baseline. I, I, I don't understand this, but 
maybe maybe he just uh maybe just another reminder that how deep men's tennis especially is right now the fact that a guy can be ranked 900 800 and then he comes to a challenger in his home country and does this where he was even a huge underdog against Ametreveli and then obviously yep. a, a massive one against Verdasco and Ofner and by the time we reached uh, the, the semi against Rossol uh, you were kind of thinking like maybe he can also beat Rossol as well it's not like Rossol is a fortress uh, but I think he didn't even win a single point on a first serve return so that semi was uh, not as close as it could seem from the scoreline I mean it's a 6-3, 6-4 but Russell had a bigger edge, edge than that. It was just about really closing it out. Uh, yeah, probably the wildest run we've had all, all year. And we had Antoine Bellier winning a challenger or Sergei Fomin winning a challenger. Yeah, it, it's it's quite insane. Uh, we'll see if he can follow it up at all. I mean, he, he's going to have the, the the ranking to enter a lot more ATFs directly now, yeah. I think. He had, to, he had to play some qualifying throughout the season. Uh, so he'll he'll get opportunities. He'll probably get a wild card here next year again. Um, yeah, it will be interesting this to, to sort of see him next year and, and see where he's at. The other semifinalist was Jeffrey Blancano, uh, who beat Kachmazov in straight sets. Then Alistair Gray coming back from a set down six two in the third. Uh, beat Heromeo in the quarterfinals before losing to Albot. Uh, his third semifinal of the season on the Challenger Tour. Uh, any thoughts on Jeffrey Blancano? I, I guess just a solid performance from him. The fact that he beat Kahmazov, Gray, Mayo. I mean, they they aren't the strongest names, but they are definitely, uh, you know, one one of the guys who consistently win rounds in challengers. Uh, Blancano is is definitely showing that he can he can stay at that level. Although, yeah, I, I think he was also one of, you know, one of the players who were more of products. Of the fact that Istanbul wasn't the strongest, Blancano is actually 139th in the ATP rankings right now, which is uh, probably a bit above what he can actually do on the court. But that you know, Maya points will drop in December, and and his chance at the top 100 will at least for now be probably over. Yeah, I mean, for a guy who started the year, well, not considered the year, but, but played quite a few futures. Uh, early on in the season, that that's very impressive, and yeah, I I I think that French Open uh, qualifying run is also doing some uh, heavy lifting there. But yeah, I mean, twenty five points, right? So it's not that yeah. That much. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, moving on to the doubles, we had Raja and Sharan uh, winning the title here. It was the second time they reached the final this season but their first challenger title since May 2017 in Bordeaux. Uh, and they beat Kade and Romboli, who actually, this is a bit a little bit bizarre. Uh, their record this season is one and three, despite reaching the final here. <laughs> they got one walkover and they had, uh, obviously they lost the final and they lost two other first, first rounds uh, before. So uh, yeah, and, and, and they also had a bye uh, in, the, in the first round as well, I believe. Yeah, doubles on the Challenger Tour can be weird at times, but it's actually not even close to what I see in women's ITF events. Uh, I was looking at some draws recently, and I mean, uh, you know, players reach the final despite not playing anything. Or even in 125 events, uh, there are usually only eight pairs, for example. 
that's that's not great. I I wish we had more more of an emphasis in this sport on doubles because it is it is it is fun to watch. It is good fun. Um, I think we can move on to Kerry. Yeah, we had Michael Mo winning the title over Dominique Kepfer, seven five six three. Uh, this was the one uh, tournament where we uh, didn't guess the the title list. Uh, for Mo, it was the sixth challenger title, first one since November 2019 in Knoxville. On his run, he beat uh, Cox, got a walkover from Ribakov, uh, beat Uchiyama in three sets, and then Thompson as well. Uh, up 21 spots, number 133. What did you think of Michael Mo? Yeah, Mo gets a second challenger final this year. And I think if someone asked me to give you the two worst challenger finals of the season, I think they would both include Michael Mo. <laughs> uh, he he was absolutely awful in that loss to Tungrin Wu. Uh, Talhasi was it. And here, uh, yeah, it, it just wasn't good to watch, really. Um, I mean, Mo, Mo was, I guess, fine. He has this, you know, despite having a huge biceps and all, he has this very slow-hitting baseline style that's uh, weird, uh, but, you know, effective, so I can't really blame him for it. Kepfer didn't know what to do at all and then just ended up rushing, spraying backhand and forehand errors all over the place. Uh, I guess a couple of nice win- nice forehand winners from Mo. I think he took uh, both the first set and the second set with with, with them. Uh, so at least he was you know a bit ballsy when uh, when he had the opportunity. But yeah, it just just wasn't really a good show. And I was thinking about it. On average, the American challengers are really a lot weaker than what we have in Europe. Like, can you yeah. imagine Michael Mo? making six titles and three finals in like, what was it, five or six years in Europe, even if we played on outdoor hard courts? I don't think it would be. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm underestimating I, I, him. But... I, I feel like this year uh, they have felt a lot weaker, uh, these American than before. Mm-hmm. last season, for sure. Because last season we, we had, you know, Brooksby uh, yeah. with, with the come up uh, and sort of maybe masked over some of the depth issues but i feel like the depth has really well i guess this year you have ibing Wu, you have shelton you have yeah i don't know know. it's hard to compare then you have events like this where you have michael moe and kevfer who i was very down on uh going into this tournament uh but yeah i mean it turned out to play pretty well yeah, uh, yeah, you... my, oh, yeah. It, it, it is this very funny thing that you mentioned that he is absolutely cut. I remember seeing him in uh, Newport Beach in person, and he is just so muscular. Yet he plays the the same grinding style that he did since he was this skinny, skinny junior in like, <laughs> 2015. Um, so yeah, it's it, it's 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 a very odd thing, but yeah. it works for him. He gets the title. It's kind of tough to play against. Uh, a lot of players are really baffled and don't really know what to do. Uh, but it's also probably why his ceiling is so limited. Why? I mean, he, he still was in the top 100 for a couple of weeks, so uh, perhaps not as limited as, as you'd think. But still, you know, it, it's why he's not really been able to, to make go any any step further. And I, I don't think it's possible with a, with a game like that. I'm not saying he should just come out and smash forehands all over the place. But, you know, some uh, I, I think that there will be a point where he, he, he will realize that he's not going, he's not making any progress. Yeah. Um, and we can also talk about Dominic Kepfer, the finalist. 
his fourth challenger final uh, on his run. He beat Kovacevic in the first round, 6-4, 6-4, then came back from a breadstick uh, set uh, against Keegan Smith, 1-6, 6-3, Beat Tennis Sandgren in the quarterfinals. Uh, Denis Kutla in the semis lost to Mike Pomo in the final. Uh, up 29 spots, number 165 in the rankings. Uh, any thoughts on Dominic Kepler here? Quite refreshing after that Brancaccio loss at the US Open, which we were both shocked yeah. by. Uh, we definitely mentioned the Kovacevic uh, kept for round one as 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 you know as a huge clash between two potential champions, maybe. And and yeah, Kepfer almost almost made it. Uh, good wins over Kudla, good wins, good win over Kovacevic. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, as for uh, the semifinalists, we had Denis Kudla, who we mentioned who started uh, very bizarrely his run uh, down a bagel to Zachary Spida in the first round, but came back to win Love 6, 6-2, 6-2. Then also dropped the set to Nava, but came back to win 6-3 in the third. Beat Facundo Mena uh, in the quarter, 6-3, 6-1. Lost to Kep for his fourth semifinal this season. Uh, what did you think of Denis Kudlov? Ah, honestly, he was Denis Kudlov. You you sort of expect a certain uh, a certain level from him. He pretty much almost always delivers. I don't think he, he he's one that disappoints us a lot. Uh, he just didn't didn't step up in that cap for Sammy. And the same goes for Jordan Thompson. Really, they they just played what we expect of these guys. And sometimes it maybe can be hard of uh, hard to like appreciate. Uh, what they're doing, but they they've been at this sort of level for years, and they just never really disappoint us. I think. Uh, yeah, and the other semifinalist was Jordan Thompson, who beat Segerman, uh, the Nunching Shang, uh, six two in the third, where I believe there was some incident with with Shang, like throwing mm-hmm. a racket at somebody. I think he smashed his racket on the umpire's chair. Yeah, not not great to see. From Shang, uh, and then uh, Thompson also beat Nick Chappell uh, before losing to Michael Mo. Uh, his first semifinal in in a good few tournaments. Uh, first semifinal since uh, the Nottingham Challenger, and then he played um, Ilkley, Chicago, Vancouver, Granby. Couldn't make it to the semis in any of those. Uh, yeah, what did you think of Thompson here? Yeah, this time he beat Shang, right? Because last time yeah. he he didn't manage to. Here he like outlasted him. Uh, when it comes to the to the deciding set, other than that, he had basically two virtual buys, <laughs> and, and then played a, a very poor match against Mo. So, uh, you know, a very mi- I have mixed feelings about this week from Jordan Thompson. That's for sure. And in the doubles, we had Lamins and Withrow winning their second challenger title of the season, and they beat Tred Huey and JP Smith, for whom it was the second final. Uh, this year and actually uh, they've continued the streak where they've played three tournaments together in their career and all of them have been uh, finals mm. which is uh, pretty pretty fun right let's go into match of the week upset of the week where would you like to start yeah maybe let's start with the match of the week I obviously have to go for something from Szczecin and I think there's no other pick than Hoinski Tseng as I mentioned, it finished after 11 p.m., which sounds fun with how cold it was. I don't know if it if it was that fun, but still, um, well, I didn't see it. In, uh, uh, no, uh, I didn't see the whole thing because there was also uh, Drzewiecki Valkov against uh, Brandova Sori going on. So I sort of you know went from court to court, but then the doubles finished and 
Koinski and Seng were still going, so I saw it from five to down in the in the third until the last uh, ball. Uh, amazing drama in the tiebreak. I think Seng wasted three match points and Koinski wrapped up wrapped it up on his like fifth or fourth. So definitely the the most dramatic, but also played at a pretty high level. Uh, match of the week, as I as I mentioned earlier, Hoinski was really stepping out of his comfort zone, and Edson kind of didn't know what to do. He he threw in a lot of weird drop shots that didn't do any damage, including on a match point, which he actually netted that one. Yeah, for me, out of the matches that I watched, my match of the week is Hugo Gaston beating Gabriel De Bru, uh, 64-663. Uh, decent levels throughout. I was very impressed with with the Brew winning that that tight second set, uh, but ultimately Gaston, uh, so, uh, as I sort of expected him to to come back after the second set and win it, and that's what happened. Uh, you know, Gaston is, is is fun to watch with, with all the variety. The Brew is someone that I think we're still learning a, a lot about as he as he develops with every tournament. So yeah, nice nice match to watch. Yeah, and with upset, I honestly, I, I, I am tempted to go Chapel over Harrison. <laughs> but no, I, I have to like be true to myself and go Kirchi over Verdasco, I guess, just because it was the first one. After he beat Verdasco, you sort of, well, maybe not expected the, 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 the fact that he would beat Ofner, but the fact that maybe there's something there, maybe there is a chance. Obviously, his win against Metreveli was huge as well, but... Uh, I think I'm going to go Korei Kirchi over Verdasco. Uh, yeah, and I'll go Korei Kirchi over Ofner. I feel like Verdasco at this point in his career, he he takes some funky losses uh, sometimes. But yeah, once he bit Ofner, I, I was like thoroughly confused about what's, what's going on here. <laughs> and with that, I think we can go over to the previews. We have... Uh, five events, 125, 480s. Let's get started in Genoa, where we have our challenger 125. Um, as I open this draw, I stole yeah, a I just, bit. Just, uh, just one thing. I looked at Verdasco's year, and honestly, he has nothing that can that could compare. I mean, that there was a, a, a loss to Ramanathan in Exxon Provence, but that was via retirement, so I can't really count it. And other than that, uh, just looking at odds, I think it was only the one against Kotov in Marrakech. That's any huge, but you know, looking at the whole year of Pavel Kotov, it's not really an upset anymore. I, yeah. I don't even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think it was, I was sort of thinking about Morano de Alboran in in week one. That that was a pretty weird loss. Uh, I oh, okay, the, okay. Yeah, the, yeah. The, I mean, I'm not saying yeah. I'm not saying you're wrong. Uh, I mean, oh, he's, yeah. he is 38 after all. He's gonna turn 39 in, in two months. I was just curious whether whether there was anything that could compare with Korei Kirchi, but uh, no, expectedly yeah, of, there wasn't. Yeah, yeah. Of, of of course, nothing quite to that level. Uh, but yeah, I, I was just sort of remembering the Morano de Obran uh, loss. Uh, even, even the loss to Kachin at the time sort of felt. Uh, I think quite weird. Uh, the the two weeks later, the but, extent yeah, of the, it for sure. Yeah, yeah. The 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 loss to Kirchi was was, was definitely bookies wise and in general the the biggest shock. Yeah. Um, but yes, here we go with Genoa, where we have the top seed Albert Ramos Vignolas in with the wild card playing a qualifier, then Vavasori or Marterer. 
Uh, also in the section is Pablo Andujar playing Alessandro Genesi and then Sapieri or Pellegrino. Dusan Majovic plays Gianluca Maguer and then one of two qualifiers. Marco Cecchinato plays Lucas Neumayer and then Matteo Arnaldi or another qualifier. Francesco Passaro plays Federico Arnaboldi and then Andrea Arnaboldi or Raul Brancaccio. Corentin Monte plays Gianmarco Ferrari and then Andrian Andreev or Salvatore Caruso. And final section, Chago Monteiro plays Stefano Travaglia in a pretty interesting first round here, I think. Winner gets to play Dimitar Kuzmanov or a qualifier. Uh, Federico Del Bonis plays Sebastian Ofnir and then Alexei Vatotin or a qualifier. In the qualifying, I believe it's played as we as we speak. Yeah. Uh, just some of the names that made the final qualifying round. We have uh, Gigante, uh, Cepeliev, Stefano Napolitano. <laughs> Uh, but no, Prichotko, Krumi, so a couple of names. I would have expected maybe a stronger qualifying field for a 125, but I guess with, with so many 80s, um, two, you know, two other 80s in, in Europe, uh, they, they would just play the main draw there instead. In the doubles, we have Arnaudo and Weisborn as the top seats. I'm not sure if they've played together before, but it seems uh, different. Brown playing with Vavasori. Igor Zelona is playing with Luis David uh, Martinez. I don't think they've played together before. So I'm interested to see them. Irovi and Pavlasek are the second seeds. Uh, Gigante and Sapieri are playing together. Brancaccio and Passaro are playing together. So some of the singles guys as well getting involved. But back to the main draw. Uh, yeah, who do you think is taking the title here in Genoa? Yeah, Zelena uh, Martinez is also one that caught my attention. Maybe Zelena is really going for the record now. Uh, Gigante Napolitano is actually pre- a pretty good final qualifying round. I think Napolitano took a set of Cells last week, uh, who Cells, by the way, won a 25k right after his final in Tool. And yeah, um, the, the qualifying draw is, de- is definitely quite weak. Uh, there was a point, uh, well, uh, up until fra- Thursday or Friday, I think Max Kashnikovsky was signed up for Braga, Genoa, and uh, Sibiu, all three qualifyings. And honestly, Genoa was the weakest uh, list, so I, I really wanted him to go there. But I guess, uh, I guess, as, as it ended up, it's it's actually been a fine decision to go to Sibiu. But yeah, Genoa definitely the the, the qualities list is surprisingly uh, well. It, it's not really comparable to the main draw at all. So I don't think anyone bar Gigante has any chance of winning this tournament. Uh, anyhow, yeah, the Arnaboldi brothers that would be very cool to see, but. It's probably going to just be from Passaro against Brancaccio. Uh, Mute could be tired as well, so I, I'm definitely thinking of Passaro. Delbonis, Ofner, I don't think they're... I mean, they could win the event, but they, they both have a lot of issues. Monteiro is an option as well, although, as you said, Monteiro Travaglia, pretty huge first round. Lejovic Magar is a pretty huge first round as well. Uh, Ramos Vinolas is certainly a peak, but the top quarter is actually kind of stacked with Pellegrino, Zepieri, Vavasori, Marter, lots of talented, dangerous players. Uh, Cecchinato against Arnaldi round two. You also don't really want to get into this. So I, I guess I have to go with uh, Francesco Passaro. Passaro. Yeah, it, it's an interesting pick. Um, obviously, he has Brancaccio and, and Mute, guys who are in four, but, but they have just played quite deep into a week before. I'm really tempted to go for somebody from this first quarter. Given just how weak that second quarter is, um, I, I feel like that could collapse very easily. Is it weak though? Lajovic, Arnaldi, Cecchinato? I mean, I mean, Lajovic, last time he played, he, he retired two six left, six left three, I think. Okay, at the US Open. 
uh, checking out the last week didn't look great. Uh, so I feel like, yeah, I'll I'll just go top seed here. I'll go I'll bet Ramos because I feel like he should have the quality to to win this title here. Uh, and we move on to Braga, uh, one of our challenger 80s that we have where the top seed is Nuno Borges playing Gianmarco Moroni in the first round. He will then play Mateus Buscini de Almeida or qualifier. Vít Kopšiva faces João Dominguez and then Pedro Araujo or a qualifier. Franco Agamemnon plays Yellow Cells and then Goncalo Oliveira here with a wild card. It's been a while since we saw him, I think, um, or a qualifier. Uh, Alexander Shevchenko plays Mike, uh, Michael Hetz, uh, and then Nino Sedarusic or a qualifier. Benoit Perez here, which was pretty surprising to me. He's playing Duarte Vale, and then Sedimetso Stebe or a qualifier. Alexander Muller plays Daniel Michalski, and then Marco Trunchetti or a qualifier. Final section Carlos Tabernet plays Gastao Elias, and then Federico Ferreira Silva or Nicolas Sanchez Izquierdo. Manuel Guinat plays Lorenzo Giustino, and then Nick Hart or Timofey Skatov. In the qualifying, um, we have Moreno de Alboran, uh, who is somebody who can make the run here. Dui Aidukovic, who's it's it, it, it's felt like a struggle this year uh, for for Duya, so hopefully he can get going. Uh, his yeah, his ranking dropping outside the top three hundred. Not great to see. Baranco Cosano is here as well. Uh, Jeremy Jan. Uh, your favorite uh, beat uh, Akira Santillan, and we will actually play Edukovic for for a spot. Corinio as well for the first time since uh, for the first time since that Prague um, fifty, where he looked like he could potentially do damage on the challenger tour as well. Uh, yeah, over in the doubles, we have a buy for the top seeds Nedumchejian and Rungkat. We also have uh, Hertz and Cells teaming up. Idukovic is playing with Oliveira. Uh, the good old duo of Vidkopshiva and Yaroslav Pospisil are back. That's that's very exciting for me. Uh, Michalski is playing with Shevchenko. Uh, Cervantes, who went out in, in qualifying, plays with uh, Roca Bataya. Skatov and Tabener are playing together as well. So yeah, some interesting ones. Uh, but back to the singles, who do you think is winning this one? Yeah, I think there are just a couple of players, honestly. Borges has a nice draw, uh, which is why I'm thinking of him. Uh, I think Shevchenko has a very good draw to follow up his uh, stretching run as well. Although Hertz opening round, uh, that's pretty tough. Taberner drew Elias in the opening round. And of course, Gastão Elias has a... I know since the pandemic, he's been a phenomenal Portugal player, if there's yeah. something like this. Um, so yeah, but, but this, this bottom half is generally a bit weaker and maybe it's going to be Gastao Elias reaching the final again. I don't know. And then who do I want to go for between Borges and Shevchenko? And I think you might probably go for the guy I don't go for. <laughs> maybe, maybe my read is wrong there. I don't know. Um, you know, it, it, it's, a, I am tempted to go for Shevchenko. I, I am really tempted to do it. And you know what? I think I might. Let's let's go, Alexander Shevchenko. Uh, Agamemnon sells, by the way. That's a huge first round as well, with sells winning that 25k last week and also the tune final. So you're locking in Shevchenko. Yeah, let's go, Shevchenko. All right. Yeah, that, that that's pretty interesting. Um, I was quite tempted by Marco Trujetti because I feel like he's going to make the final. 
uh, out of the bottom half. Um, but I feel like now that I have Nuno Borges unobstructed uh, and I would get the sole point, I feel like I have to go for the most likely player in, in, in my mind to win this tournament. And that is Nuno Borges. All right. So yeah, two, two top seats for me uh, so far. Apologies. Or, or maybe I'll go all top Maybe seats you'll also. continue this. I mean, I, I went all top seats uh, once this year and it didn't work out at all. <laughs> yeah, well, well, we'll see. I'm not committing to it uh, yet because I've, I've not actually had a look at these draws before now. Uh, um, let's go over to Sibiu where we have top seed Federico, Federico Koryat. Uh, playing Ram Kumar Ramanathan, uh, when he plays Mirza Basic or a qualifier. Then we have an interesting pocket of players here. I think Nikola Milojevic, uh, who's struggled, plays Luka Varnash. And then Mate Valkus or Mariusz Kopil. I believe Valkus has been out with injury, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he, he only played one event, I think, and retired again in a uh, quarterfinal of a 15k. Yeah, yeah. I actually beat a, a Slovak player, Jakub Kroschlak, there. And a player who trains in Slovakia in Leyton Rivera, who's Norwegian. So that's yeah, just 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 notice that there. Um, so yeah, buckles will be interesting to watch in this tournament for sure. Uh, then we have Tirante playing a qualifier, and then Dragos Nikolai Madaras or another qualifier. Ricardo Bonadio plays Neriman Fatic, and then Mattia Bellucci or Louis Vessels. Damir Jumhor plays Filip Horansky, uh, and then Johan Niklas or qualifier. Zdenje Kolaj plays Dragos Dima, and then Lukas Klein or Viktor Vlad Kornea, who we're used to seeing in doubles uh, more frequently. Filip Misolic is a second seed here, playing Jan Hoinski, which is a pretty good first round. I'm, I'm very excited for that one. A winner will play Billy Harris, and then Kimer Kopejans plays Niklas David Yonel. Uh, and then Filip Gianno or a qualifier. Slovakia actually played Romania, so I, I feel like I've I've seen a couple of these guys more recently, like like Yonel, he got mm-hmm. murdered by Alex Molchan. But didn't he uh, score a win over Gombos? Yeah, yeah, he he, he did be Gombos. Gombos wasn't great, uh, but yeah, Mo, Mo, Molchan Molchan dominated. Uh, so yeah, we we will be in the qualifiers again. Over to the qualifiers in this event. What a transition here. Uh, we have Max Kashnikovsky playing Steven Diaz. I, I believe they're playing right now. Yeah, Max has just won the first set. Oh, all right. Uh, we also have Rudolf Moleker. He's playing Edler. Uh, Gachov is here. Fonio is here. Kravchenko is here. In the doubles, we have Edler and Midler, the top seeds. Uh, we also have the Bosnian team of Basic and Fatic. Mark Garoli plays with Ramanatan. Uh, Cornell plays with Collage. That that, that 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 feels like a like a title winning combo here. Uh, it feels like to me. Like this Daniel Collage <laughs> with a decent doubles pair. I think they take this draw. Uh, the Sabanov brothers are here as well. Kade and Ramboli. They made a final last week, although with one win. Uh, but they did. Um, but yeah, back to the singles. Who do you think is going to win in Sibiu? Yeah, if we were doing uh, doubles predictions, then maybe Cornea Collage. Cornea Collage is just, yeah, too good to be, uh, too good not to pick them. Yeah. Uh, in the qualies, yeah, I'm very happy that Max uh, got, uh, you know, uh, if he wins this qualifying against the uh, final round against DS, I'm going to be very happy because he clearly puts a lot of pressure on himself. 
uh, after the loss to Mansuri in Kozerki, he was apologizing to the fans who came. And he was just looking at him at the venue in Szczecin, like on the ne- day after he's lost to Koboli, he was so down. And he was he was just, you know, walking around and looking like uh, he just didn't want to be anywhere. He just wouldn't wanted to hide or something. I think he's, he started putting a lot of pressure on himself to perform in challengers, which, you know, he played Koboli in a 125. You know, it's not a match he should be winning. So I really hope he, he beats Diaz because that's that that's certainly a match that he feels like he, he should win. Uh, anyhow, probably no one from the qualities is winning this. Uh, I could, uh, I could think Gakov, Moleker, Kravchenko maybe. Kravchenko was very weird in stretching because he looked insane until he took the first set against Taberner six uh, seven six and then lost the next twelve games. Uh, but anyhow, I actually have a bit of a pattern as well because I just realized that in Braga and in Genoa, I picked the seventh seeds to win the title. And you know what? I think I might just continue it. I'm not sure if I'm going to do it in Columbus in the in Villa Maria because I don't know who's the seventh seed there. But Kimer Kopeans is a serious pick here. Uh, I think from the bottom half, he might be the strongest player along with Misolic. But Misolic is playing Hoinski in the opening round, which I'm not a fan of. And who else? I mean, Bonadio is a peak very uh, very much up my alley, but he's playing Bellucci or Vessels in round two. That's not, not super easy. Uh, Korea obviously is an option, so you might continue your top seeds uh, r- route. But I am going for the seventh seed, Kimer Kopejans. I hope that the seventh seeds in Columbus or Villa Maria are going to be competitive enough for me to pick them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, and it, by it, the way, I think we should mention this anytime we get the chance. Dragos Dima is the former champion in Sibiu. <laughs> 2018. Fantastic yeah. final against Yele Cels. What a legendary match. But yeah, I, I think I, I think the Copenhagen's pick is very good. Um Misolic, obviously, last time we saw him, he was the midler in straight sets. But he played DC as well, and he struggled in the second set in Tuln against some Pakistani guy, I think. Yeah, so that it's that's not a that's not a great sign for, for Misolic. So yeah, Copenhagen's is a very strong pick. Korea, very tempting here, despite his recent form not being great. I feel like that's a very easy draw, but I will actually not be going with Federico Korea here. Uh, I'll be going with somebody else from the bottom half. I'll be going with Lukash Klein. Uh, I, I really like his draw for the first two rounds. Yeah. But last time we saw him, he he, he looked strong uh, in Tuln. He, he got it done in Davis Cup alongside uh, Igor Zelenai in straight sets. Um, there's this like sports writer cliche uh, in Slovakia. I don't know if you have it in Poland as well, but mm-hmm. there's this big cliche about how um, the, the 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 sort of the the Davis Cup week, the training camp that they have, always like restarts the players and it gives them this whole new burst of energy for the year going forward. So I'm going to play a little bit into that. I, I like his section. Jumhur is really the only threat for me there. Collage. I, I don't know what he's been up to actually. The collage, but I'm 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 not too bothered about saying collage. I don't think he's won a match uh, other than the two Wimbledon qualifying yeah. wins since Ron Garros. Then collage is on like a 55 match losing streak, if you include the Bundesliga matches. <laughs> but, 
uh, yeah, has has not won since Wimbledon second round. Uh, yeah, but, but it, it, they weren't wins. I mean, Vieira yeah, Martinez yeah, retired I, in his last career match, and Dudisela is Dudisela. Yeah, so so he hasn't actually really won since the French Open. Yeah, uh, which is yeah. So yeah, that that makes me even more confident in my in my client pick here, for sure. Uh, I, I, we'll be we'll be matching up in the semifinals. I think here. Klein that's very that's very possible. I I sort of overlooked Klein honestly between the two Romanian wildcards. He, uh, but it's not like I was I was going to pick him. I I still like my Kopejans pick, but it's certainly an uh, an option that feels very possible with how weak the his quarter is. Yeah, no, Kopejans is definitely a, a good pick. I was looking at him as well. Yeah, and by the way, Kolaj is... It's not like he's been playing awesome players in these matches. He lost to Virtanen yeah. in Zouk. He lost to Chiepierev in Cordenons. These ones are probably explainable. Neukrist, no, yeah. Karlovski, Vessels. I mean, yeah, he's just been dire. And yeah, that's all. Yeah, his his season ended with with Titipas there, which I mean, obviously, it has to be such a rush to play Titipas and play him close uh, in a in a slam if you're Stanley Collage, but you 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 have to come back from that and sort of recover and and get back to the challenge tour and get back to doing what you do, and he's not really been able to do that. All right, we go to Columbus, Ohio, uh, where the top seed is Jordan Thompson playing Charles Broom. Then Nicolas Mejia or Mukunsa Sikumar. Dominic Kepfer, the finals last week, plays Aiden McHugh. And then Yasuta Kawuchiyama or Gabriel Diallo. Alexander Vukic plays Daniel Cox. And then Ezekiel Clark or, or a qualifier. Paul Job plays a qualifier. And then one of my favorite tennis names alongside with Stronker Keimer, Cannon Kingsley. Love that name. <laughs> or a qualifier. And then Kihiji Kata plays a qualifier. And then Justin Boulay or James Tracy. Dominic Stricker plays a qualifier, and then Benjamin Locke or Evan Zhu. Emilio Gomez plays a qualifier, and then Tennis Sangren or Omni Kumar. Enzo Kwako plays Roberto Quiroz, and then Alexis Galarno or Nate Chappell. In the qualifying, uh, um, we have Ryan Harrison, we have Donald Young, uh, Patrick Kipson, uh, Strong Kirkheimer. So you have some, some names there. Over to the doubles, we have uh, Julian Cash and Henry Patton, the top seeds, getting a bye. Um, who, else is, who else is in this draw? Um, yeah, it's very weak. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah for, for my for my sons, you can tell it's quite weak. Uh, we have the, the Locke brothers. We also have an Estonian pairing of uh, Daniel Glinka and Karol Kjursar, which is pretty interesting. Mejia and Kiroz are there. Donald Young is playing doubles with Rory Smith. Which I remember my one of my early early takes on this on this podcast was that Donald Young should be a double specialist. So we'll see if they can do anything here. Although I don't know if Roy Smith is the ideal uh, partner <laughs> for that. But back to the singles draw. This is quite weak. Uh, but who do you see coming out on top here? Yeah, I think if, if we were doing doubles predictions, then cash button all, all day for both yeah. of us. <laughs> yes. uh, that's for sure. This seems like a very easy draw for them. Anyhow, uh, yeah, uh, Donald Young actually struggled with Preston Brown yesterday, which was quite wild wa- having watched Preston Brown on a couple of occasions and usually seen him at the bottom of the alternate list for everything. Anyhow, uh, probably not not one of the one of the qualifiers isn't winning this. 
Yeah, there are a couple of players. I, I wonder how Diallo will do. He lost in Davis Cup to Jere quite easily, I think. Uh, 6-2, 6-2. Jordan Thompson is, of course, always an option. His draw is weak enough. Kepfer, maybe not after this week. Uh, Hijikata Streaker has a nice draw, and I think Streaker could easily win this. Maybe Hijikata Streaker is is a is a. I mean, it's a very high profile quarterfinal if we get it. Uh, Quaco Kiros, uh, that's probably not 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 a tough opening round anymore. But maybe we'll get another Quaco Gomez match because I think they played twice this year already or something like that in on the Challenger Tour. Not not recently. Uh, not, not so long ago. Uh, when I saw that Paul Jab is the seventh seed, I was like, nah, nah, I'm not picking this. But then I look at his draw, and I actually want to, because Vukic has been injured out of form, and other oh, yeah. than that, his section is just super weak. So yeah. I, I think I do have to go for Paul Jab and keep that seventh seed uh, streak going. Yeah, that, that, it's, it's a solid pick based on the draw. Vukic has been uh, quite quite bad. Um, I'm sort of off two minds here between two guys from the same quarter, which is an interesting position to be in. Um, I thought about Stricker for a little bit, but um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm ready to pick him here after that loss to, to Schalbeich. Uh If you're wondering, Torpegat, uh, I'm pretty sure he's injured. Uh, he retired from Lexington uh, at the beginning of August. So that's why he's not here. Oh yeah, the, he's, the he's missing first. his favorite hunting ground because Columbus. Yeah, is I mean, he's going to be ranked because of this. Because yeah, <laughs> it's it's the venue. It's the venue where the Ohio State play. So so Torpegat is very well used to it, and of course made almost all his challenger runs here. But yeah, I'm I'm sort of deciding between Gomez and Quaco here, even though they're in the same quarter. Uh, I feel like whoever comes out of that quarter is going to win this tournament. They're both in, in quite good form. Gomez got good wins over Laxon and Hissler in Davis Cup. Um, but I think I'll go Quaco here uh, just because I really liked him at the, at the US Open. Um, I, I thought he was very good there. And yeah, yeah, I, I think we're, we're getting definitely another one of these matchups between them two. Although Galerno actually in that section might be dangerous as well, but we'll see. Yeah, if someone's losing before the quarterfinals, it's probably Quaco. Mm. But if they if they play, I also have really no clue. The the Columbus courts are very fast, I think, but in this matchup it's hard to say who that benefits. Maybe Quaco. Yeah, I, I feel like faster probably benefits Quaco a little bit just because Gomez's uh forehand he has he has that super, like really long take back on it, so uh, that might that might be a factor there, but we close out with Via Maria in Argentina, where the top seed is Juan Pablo Barrias uh, playing another Peruvian actually in the first round, Nicolas Alvarez. Uh, then he plays Facundo Diaz Acosta or qualifier. Getting Hanafan is here after having to uh, withdraw quite late last week due to his Davis Cup appointment. Uh, he plays Francisco Comesaña and then Paul Martin Tifon or qualifier. Felipe Melgini Alves plays Nicolas Kiker and then Facundo Juarez or Luciano Dardelli. Renzo Olivo plays Alex Barena and then Lautaro Midon or a qualifier. Rodriguez Taverna uh, plays Coyarini and then Casanova or a qualifier. Bagnis plays a qualifier and then Buruchaga or Dutra da Silva. Hugo Carabey plays a qualifier and then Navone or Villanueva. Juan Manuel Serundolo is here playing Olivieri. And then Popko or Otegi. 
in the qualifying, uh, not much. Uh, Orlando loses here. Um, Ignacio Monzon, Juan Pablo Paz is here as well. Uh, so we have some some names uh, in the doubles. We have Cuarini and Olivo as the top seeds. Burjaga and Diaz Acosta, I believe they reached a final together this season earlier. Uh, Casanova and Rodriguez Taverna, Andrea Otzi and Duran uh, play Ugo Carabey and Caru in the first round, which is pretty interesting. But back to the singles, who are you looking at for the title in Via Maria? Andrea Otzi also played qualifying, interestingly, but lost in the opening rounds to, to Reis da Silva. Uh, yeah, probably no one from the qualifying I'm thinking of in terms of the winner picks. Um, let's see. I mean, the seventh seed is Renzo Olivo. <laughs> and I mean, I don't want to pick him, but I already did this four times. And like, what's the real danger there? Like, if, if there was a guy I really wanted to pick here, maybe I'd think about it. But a lot of the guys that... Uh, well, a lot of the guys that I want to pick have tough draws. Like Farias, maybe not, but he can play Diaz Acosta in the second round. Then maybe Comesania or Hanfman. That's pretty tough. Maligeni Alves Kicker, that's pretty tough. Rodriguez Taverna Colerini. I really want to see this much beautiful forehands everywhere. Uh, Bagnis maybe has a pretty decent draw, but it's not like he's been winning every challenger he plays. Ucarabelli also has been a bit off. Serundolo Olivieri, of course, you, you have to see what Serundolo does. So, yeah, as, as you said, I think I'm kind of obligated to pick Olivo anyway. It's not like he's not one of the, I don't know, top 10 favorites here. I think he probably is. He's just not at the very top of the list. But it's not like he cannot he cannot win this event. It's not like he hasn't been close this year. Um, well, he only made that final in San Luis Potosi, but also other deep runs. So, yeah. I'm gonna go Renzo Olivo. It's not really who I think will win this, but it's who I think has a chance and has the, the numbers has number seven next to his name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Olivo is probably the the worst one of these picks, but the other ones they they're, they're they're looking good. So you know, it's it's worth the sacrifice. And if you if you get some points out of this pattern, it will be quite funny. Five zero. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, who I'm looking at here, uh, I think I'll just go with Juan Pablo Varias. Uh, he got a couple of good wins against Chile in Davis Cup, beating Tabilo and Hari, both 6-4 in the third. I feel like the motivation is certainly there for Varias. Uh, he hasn't really had as much success this season as we maybe expected after 2021. He had 50 wins, two titles. Um, whereas here... Yeah, it's 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 been sort of the the semifinalists uh, varias, uh, but yeah, we, we we've not seen him get a title, so I I feel like he will do that here this time. Yeah, and that would be it. Uh, if you stayed up with us until the very the very end, I think you're crazy, but we also love you. So that's sort of uh, you know a nice balance. Um, we stayed here until the end, so we're also crazy. Uh, but yeah, uh, let's let's meet each other in a week again, and we are going to discuss. Oh my God, Genoa, Braga, Sibiu, Columbus, and Villa Maria. Uh, that was easier than I thought it would be. Anyhow, thanks again. Bye.